0: Consent can only be given if you think there are other options. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over
1: Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm talking with my guest, Amy. Hi everybody, my name is Amy Nordhughes, and I'm an author and an advocate for adult victims of therapist and clergy abuse.
0: There is so much of that. I didn't realize how common this was. I didn't,
1: either. I didn't either. I'd heard of clergy abuse, you know, we hear it on the news, especially with the Catholic church first and but when I went to counseling in 2013, I had never ever heard of therapist abuse. I'd never heard of a mental health professional grooming and abusing anyone. I mean, I guess I should have thought of that, but it just you don't hear about it, you don't right. read about it. And so I thought I was the only one in the entire planet that had, you know, ever experienced that. And I can remember I I think I just typed in therapist abuse online and I found an organization called TELL, which is Therapy Exploitation Link Line, and they do nothing but offer support and advocacy for adult victims of therapist and clergy abuse. So I reached out to them and they will email, you know, with you back and forth. And I remember saying, how common is this? Like there's a whole website set up for it. So is there, is this actually a thing? And she said, oh yeah, we get hundreds of victims a month. Oh, wow. Abused in therapy. And the reason clergy is thrown in is a lot of the times it's a counseling mentor relationship person and their pastor. So they're very similar. Gotcha.
0: Why don't you take us on your journey and how all this happened?
1: Yeah, I decided to start counseling in 2013 to work on my marriage, to work on parenting. I'd had a lingering depression that I really just couldn't shake over my entire lifetime. And I assumed, you know, stemming from um, childhood abuse, and I'd had many sexual abusers over my lifetime, so it was kind of like a one last shot, you know, it kind of trying to conquer that depression. I tried therapy before; I tried antidepressants, and nothing really seemed to work. At the same time, in a year before, in 2012, I had started going to a new church, and I'd started recovery was was what I started. Have you heard of it? It's a Christian 12-step group for any kind of struggles. And in that process, I fell in love with this new church, fell in love with the pastor, and found out that this therapist was an elder at this church. So when I decided to start counseling with him, I thought, not only do I have this psychiatrist, this doctor, but I have a therapist and I have a Christian elder. So I felt like I was in really good hands and I was pretty naive Um, On the spiritual side, because I was kind of this new believer in the Christian world and um, everything that that entails was new to me, so I was a little bit vulnerable in that regard. But so I start the process. He does a weird, more spiritual approach to therapy, which again probably would have freaked me out, you know, years back. But I was more open to this whole spiritual world. He suggested that. Well, first off, that I have multiple personalities, which I knew that I didn't have. I'm a psychology major. I know what that is. I know that I don't morph into different personalities. I think that maybe somebody would have pointed it out, you know? Right. And so I was like, what? And, but a lot, but several things. I was like so desperate for the help. Everybody loved him. He seemed so knowledgeable and intelligent that I almost was like, you know what? Do you have any better ideas? Like, you know, you haven't been able to beat this depression, you know, and who are you to criticize him? So maybe just be open to it. And so in time, I kind of saw it as like, just having trauma trapped at different ages. You know, it's not necessarily that I turned into different people, but in my mind, it was just like, well, maybe it's kind of like that. And that I could, I could
0: rationalize with,
1: because I did have a lot of trauma. And I thought maybe it was just yeah, I thought maybe multiple personalities could be like when you have different emotions trapped at different ages that you haven't processed. So we started the process. And it was super weird when um, the first part that I came up with, I just just imagined myself at age 13, I just picked an age where there was a lot of trauma, I described what was going on in my life. And we went through his little therapy process, um, which involved prayer and um, oh, and there were evil spirits attached to these missing parts, which is why I had depression. And yes, people listening probably think, well, you should have run out the door. However, I grew up hearing all about evil spirits. My mom blamed almost everything on evil spirits. And so I was like, you know what? No, like, what do I know? I haven't, I've had all this anger. Nothing I've tried has worked. So let's, so I, I went ahead with it. So I mean, even though it sounds crazy, that one I was more on board with. I was like, maybe I do have evil. Like, I was molested but you've by heard a priest it your whole life. So, well, I was molested by a priest when I was twelve, and I'm like, maybe that somehow makes me evil. Like, I don't know. But so we start this process, and he wanted to name this part, and I was so embarrassed and so horrified, and wanted to crawl into a hole. But I was like, Amy, just pick a name. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And so I did. And we proceed on like this for weeks and months um, of me just picking a different age um, and doing this prayer process. He would pray away evil spirits and then he would name them, which was cringy. I'm not going to lie. But in time, I kind of just got used to it. And, you know, what? I loved the attention. I loved the connection or have a father figure. And he was almost a grandfather, really. And so I had become quite attached. So I was willing to, you know, accept kind of weird therapy. Um, and I thought it was helping me. I thought I was getting better. I thought I was feeling better. I didn't realize he was grooming me from day one. The first major red flag for me, I started seeing him in April, was in December. So eight months or something. He offered to rub my shoulders or my feet for a Christmas present. I was so embarrassed. I'm so mortified. And all I could hear in my head was like, pick one, Amy, pick one. This is so awkward. Like, just say something like, and so sadly, I didn't think no was an option. And I just forced myself, I think I said, um, shoulders, and he came over in a minute, he sat down next to me and touched me. I was like, our feet, 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 just <laughs> yeah. get him away from me. You know, like, I was like, Oh, my God, this is and I like, I remember just slinking down in my chair and letting him run my fe- feet and thinking, oh my God, oh my God. But I didn't have enough self esteem to trust that my instincts were correct. In other words, my instincts knew that it wasn't normal and knew I didn't know that there was anything sinister about it, though. I just knew it was weird. And I didn't have the self esteem to say, your feelings can trump his wishes. Or, you know, in other words, you don't have the right to say no. And heaven forbid you make him feel uncomfortable for making you feel uncomfortable. But that was the reality is, is that you don't have the right. And, you know, eventually that was no big deal. And I kind of was in the rear view mirror and I got more and more comfortable with the idea of physical touch because you know, after he did that, a few rubbed my feet a few times, then I kind of liked it. And then, and then I felt special and I thought we're father, daughter, like he's touching my feet. Like what, you know, and I would just berated myself. Like I had the meanest inner critic that would just say like, you're afraid of everything. Like you're so anxious. Like he's touching your feet. Like what bad thing is actually happening to you? And You know, when you're in these situations, you don't tie the red flags together because you don't know that there's a pattern. You don't know that there's something to be looking out for. So you get over this red flag and then a while down the road, there's another one, but you don't realize they're connected. So each thing was kind of its own, you know, little shock and like kind of hump to get over. And like you said, you rationalize it, blame yourself for being uncomfortable with it. Some, Some grooming makes you feel good you know grooming isn't all like creepy and scary and i think that's a lot of times what people think when they hear the word grooming but grooming actually makes you feel amazing and makes you feel special and connected and you know that's part of the love bombing that they talk about so it's not all a bad thing when it's happening i mean it is ultimately a bad thing but you don't realize that you're walking into a web right until you're stuck until it's too late.
0: How often did he rub your feet?
1: I think he did it for like three or four or seven more. And then I'm frustrated that I picked feet. I'm sure he was hoping for shoulders because it took him quite a while to figure out how to weasel his way back over to my side of the office because I didn't know what was happening. And I, and so the way he pulled that off was, I was like real emotional one session. And he came over and sat across from me on an ottoman that was in front of my chair and offered me a tissue and um and then was sitting there close to me and then then by this time I think I've been working with him for a year and I was really attached and really felt really close to him and I did, and then he started acting like he was uncomfortable like the way he was sitting cuz he had had um, an injury and then so I asked him if he would sit next to me on this oversized chair so then whenever he made another move I thought it was my fault and I thought if I told anyone what he did, that I would have to tell them that it was my idea that he sit next to me. But was it really my idea for him to sit next to me? No. My idea for him to come to my side of the office at all. But these predators are masterful at knowing how to make you think it was your idea, at least partly. And so then if you if you tell, because you can't get, I couldn't get out of my own. Most of us can't get out of these, away from these predators on our own. But to tell, we feel like we're telling on ourselves. I don't want to say what a loser I was that I asked my therapist to sit next to me. Did I think anything was bad about that? No, but I'm an adult. That's weird. Like, I don't, even if it was, even if he was a good guy and it was okay, I wouldn't want anyone to know that. I would feel stupid, you know? Yeah, but he was in pain. So you were trying to give him another chair to be comfortable. Well, I wanted him to stay, sit near me, but of course, you know, he feigned the discomfort, I'm sure, so that... So that's how he weaseled his way over there. And then things just progressed. Um, I saw him for a year and a half. I was really slow to catch on what was, you know, happening. Towards the end, I felt I was in so much distress because I felt like he was trying to lure me into an emotional affair, which I wanted no, nothing to do with. He's like a grandpa, <laughs> you know, looking character. <laughs> and I tried to get him. I thought I could get him that if he saw how much he was hurting me, that he would stop and I could have the safe place back. But I didn't realize the place had never been safe to begin with. I didn't realize that it was all a joke. It was all a sham. He, it was a playbook he was reading by. I was one of many, you know, because when you're in these situations, you think it's just you. You truly believe that there's just a special connection with you. There's just a special draw towards you. Um, he's, this has never happened with this pastor or therapist ever with anyone else. It's just, or I thought maybe it's something about me that tripped him up. Like maybe he had a weird connection with me that, you know, maybe you just don't see the sinister evil side because you just can't comprehend that people can be that evil. I just couldn't believe it. And so it went on with me thinking I could fix it, thinking that he would back off from the, like from the things he was saying. And And then at the very end, I think the last three sessions were purely sexual. And I would cry in between each session and beg him to stop. And I still, like, even when I knew he was hurting me, I thought it was coming from a good place. And being an empathetic person, it's easier for me to forgive, like, accidentally slipping or, you know, somehow getting his emotions tangled up. I needed to know that it was purely sinister. And it took me till that last session to see that. And that was what allowed me to leave that time and ask for help.
0: Yeah. That couldn't be an accident. People don't just land there.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? You can't just land on the hoo-ha. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted more for me that I was willing to give, but it was bad enough what he did.
0: Right. right. That was part
1: of what made me to, made me, like run for the hills was, oh my God, he thinks, you know, that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with him and that's not going to happen. But enough humiliating, shameful things did happen. And I don't know. I just, I've read about sociopaths. I've seen them on TV and in movies, but I have never encountered one up close. I have never met another human being. I mean, I'm sure I've walked by him in the street and maybe I've met him, but I've never en- had an interaction with another human being where they actually find inflicting pain on you comical and fun and like for sport. It's shocking. That's kind of like that BDSM stuff. Yeah. Not for me.
0: No, not me either.
1: (laughs) But so, yeah, that's, that's basically, you know, what, what allowed me to leave was seeing that the whole thing was just a joke to him and he didn't care about me. I mean, I was just, trash to him, or someone to use and throw away, I should say. And I decided to turn him in. Well, it takes me a while. At first, I think it's just me. I'm the only victim that he's ever had. I just wanted help getting out. And I went to my pastor, and he sat with me during my next session. And that was allowed me to cut the tie and not go back. But it took me a long time to really accept to really get it through my thick skull that there was never a special connection there. Like It was like, You were completely used. It was a joke. And it helped when another victim came forward and we were able to compare notes. And it was like the exact same thing. Same line. Same gifts. Same everything. I mean, and I even felt myself a little bit feeling hurt because I was like, because part of you cannot grasp that this is really real. That people can really do this to other people, but they can. And like he had no guilt. It was very easy for him. So. Yeah, just shocking.
0: Did he get arrested?
1: Nope, because therapist abuse is only criminal in a little over half of our states. It is not illegal in Oklahoma. It is not criminally illegal in Oklahoma. In half of our states, it's a crime. And in some states, it's a felony with prison time first offense. So some states are taking it seriously and some, you know, absolutely don't even consider it. I mean, a senator here in our state, after my case, decided to try to pass legislation for a second time on therapist abuse, and he was only asking for a misdemeanor and like a small fine, and it nobody was interested. And it's scary because you go to the doctor, hopefully you have a nurse around, but you go to therapy, it's it's just you and a enclosed room with another person. And when you encounter a narcissist or charming sociopath, it's pretty easy to get manipulated by someone like that. And you're already in a position where you're supposed to be vulnerable for the therapy to work. It's not like you're out. It's not like you're out having coffee with this person. They're your therapist. So you're supposed to open up. You're supposed to let your walls down and trust if you want the process to work. So it's pretty scary. And so um, I what I did was, well, I eventually told a friend who was a mandated reporter, and she said, I'm going to report him to the medical board. Eventually, I got the strength to do the same. And then um, the medical board took my case. And I think it took about nine months, but they eventually allowed him to surrender his license. They wanted, one of the doctors on the board wanted to demand a trial and take the license from him. But they kind of bantered back and forth about it and decided that it's stressful for the victim, which was me. And we only have one victim and we better not risk it. And We have his license. Let's just go ahead and accept the surrender. So I did learn that it was only the fifth permanent surrender of license that they'd issued in like 20 or 25 years. So that felt good. But still, he was of retirement age. It hardly felt like justice. And so he just pretended to uh, retire and move away. And in time, I felt like I needed more to fight for myself and stick up for myself. So I decided to file a civil suit, malpractice suit, uh, medical malpractice. And I found a fantastic attorney through that same organization, Tell, And he does nothing but represent therapist and clergy abuse his entire career And that took three years, and we were successful. But again, we weren't even really suing the doctor. We were suing his insurance. So was there justice in that? A little. I was glad I did it. It felt like I was fighting for myself, at least. Did it penalize him in any way, except he had to be distressed about it for three years? You know, It was just all that was available to me.
0: Why didn't that girl testify the second time so maybe it would have been a better case, and it wouldn't have just been you have to forfeit your license?
1: They knew about her. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't yet. She didn't come forward yet. Oh, I didn't meet her yet. Yeah, Um, it was just me. Um, Maybe if there was a second, maybe they would have demanded a trial. But they warned me that if it went to a trial, that there it would be there could be TV reporters in there that it's going to be that I could testify via satellite. But it was going to be stressful. But I would have done it even by myself. But I was kind of relieved when they went ahead and let him surrender it. But, you know, it's it's not the same as saying surrendered as having it taken. But nobody even knows. Unless they go to the court records, They'll most people probably just think he retired. Right. Or, But so anyway, when the other victim did come forward, she did go to the medical board and they said, we've already, you know, this is already a case. And she did join in in the civil suit. But again, that didn't. It's right. maddening. Because he should be um, a sex offender. He should have to register as a sex offender. I learned of other victims later. Um, I got to speak to um, the widower of a victim who was in this doctor's care 20 years ago. He was inappropriate with her, and she had committed suicide. I mean, he damaged so many lives and just got to pretend to retire. So it's just really unfair.
0: I'm sorry, but he's trash. Shame on him because you came to him with secrets that you wanted to help heal. And the only thing he did was make bigger holes.
1: Yes. And then guess who's going to help you through a trauma like that? Not your friends and family. They can't handle that level of trauma. So eventually you have to trust again and see another therapist, which is the last thing people want to do, or maybe a pastor if it was vice versa. But I did eventually have to do that. I knew I had to. I mean, I was just in survival mode. I'd never been groomed and abused before in my entire life. Been abused, but had never had anybody slowly intentionally build a relationship with me in order to trap me and then take advantage of me. It's just absolutely brutal. And you're an adult, so you don't feel like you're even allowed to be a victim. You know, speaking of that, I have this software that because I've written a book that shows how many people search for certain keywords on Amazon Books? And over 6,000 people a month um, are still searching, not only um, when therapists abuse clients, but can adults be victims? If 6,000 people a month are typing in can adults be victims, there's a lot of adults out there suffering that not only are they did they go through the trauma and the betrayal, but they don't even know if they are allowed to call themselves a victim because society's not going to. You know, right? Um, nobody's people are going to roll their eyes at that. They're going to call it a mutual affair. There's a few people that are knowledgeable and that that will understand that. But it's just another thing that causes shame. And it's another reason you don't want to come forward to punish the, these perpetrators. Because of what you have to go through, you know, because right. of the name calling and the finger pointing. And yeah, it's just sorry. I got a little fired up about that. I don't even remember what you asked me, but. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> it's so sad to me. And that's why I came forward because I was just wanting to say, hey, I think I'm a fairly intelligent person. I'm an adult. I feel like I'm a fairly normal person. And this happened to me. I can't even believe it did, but it did. And I want other people to be able to forgive themselves because it's there's a lot of shame associated
0: with that. Well, probably because you want to know, how didn't I see it? You know, how did I miss the signs? Was I was I gullible? Was I this? Was I that? But you can't blame yourself because like you said, it seems like a friendship. It's literally forming a relationship that you don't even know you have. Because they're good at it. They're so good at it.
1: Yeah, and they don't make another move until they know you're you're okay at this level. And they wait. There's enough time in between. And he even admitted to that, to slowing down when maybe I was starting to get anxious you know and then speeding back up when he could i mean and they usually have hundreds of victims um and he you know what's really sick is that i learned from the other victim that he was creating these multiple parts and i figured it had to be for his own benefit because why would we do this for hours and hours if if he was only trying to take advantage of me why were we doing all this weird therapy and it was for his own sexual gratification um That he create all these young girls, and name them, and I didn't. Thank God I got out when I did, because she was in for I think fifteen or maybe seventeen years, and and choose which part he wanted to interact with. If you get my drift, maybe the maybe a six year old that he named. You know, I'm just making it up, Susie. Um, So it was really sick and twisted, meaning. He's a danger to children. Right. But he doesn't. But yet, he's never going to have to register as a sex offender because what he did isn't even considered a crime in our state. Unethical, yes. A crime, no.
0: That's just insane.
1: But yet, you know, you've got... It gets me fired up because I think about... And I'm not saying that this is not a big deal, but say like an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, you know, that person might get put on the sex offender list, but like predators like this, that hurt hundreds and hundreds of of women get a slap on the wrist or, or maybe they get their license taken away, but
0: yeah. it's Not enough.
1: It's not enough. I did one of the medical board investigators told me that I might have a criminal rape case, um, even though there was no intercourse, but based on the things I had shared, he said, you, you have a pretty strong case. You might have a criminal case. And, so my husband and I went to two different, two or three different attorneys and got a, advice on this. And I was told by all of them, this was a quote from run, one of them, do not pursue criminal charges because it will be brutal for you and your family and he will walk. And after all the trauma you've been through, you can't even afford to take on any more trauma. And, you know, so that's that's another sad reality. I call it the unjust justice system. Although I know they do good in some regards, what you will be put through to be put on the stand to try to, uh, you know, speak up against someone like that. You have to relive it. Yeah, I had to go for my medical or for my civil suit. Sorry, my medical malpractice suit. My deposition was about six hours long. And the entire time the defense attorney was trying to make rattle me, upset me make me angry, make me seem crazy. And their whole defense was along the lines of, oh, you are already screwed up. The the damage this guy did didn't didn't cause like any of your problems. And so oh, oh, it was so (laughs) wrong. I thought, how do these people sleep at night? How do you treat other human beings like that and sleep at night? I don't know. Like I said, It was that that deposition alone was almost not worth going through the civil suit. And so I always warn other victims. Yes, there is some healing and standing up for yourself and fighting for yourself. But just know there is going to be damaging in certain ways as well. So you just have to be prepared for that. Yeah, they're going to air
0: out all the dirty laundry. They have to because then they're going to try to put it back on you to act like you wanted it.
1: Oh, yeah. And everything that you've never wanted the world to know then becomes public record. It's just horrifying. I mean, I remember mailing my diary you know, to my attorney and I, I saw a therapist at one point. I did a year of EMDR therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's used for trauma. She got really angry when she got a request for my medical records for the civil suit. Well, everybody got that. Everybody that... My dentist got a request for my medical records <laughs> and I said, and it, it, I got so upset. I was like, this is not exactly convenient for me either. People like, I'm sorry, you have to fill out a form, but yeah, it's, it's a lot.
0: What do they need to know about your, your teeth?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, I literally was like laughing. I was like, the dentist called me. Um, we have an attorney requ- I'm like, just, just give them whatever they want. Like, like it was so embarrassing. It's like, what are they thinking? Like about me, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have my wisdom teeth. I don't know. Just tell them whatever they need. I don't know. I've had one feeling. I don't know because anything they can do to make you look bad, to embarrass you, to shame you, to make you look unstable, anything they are looking for everything. So that's crazy. But don't ask me. it was funny so you
0: also you said you had childhood trauma as well was that not grooming
1: techniques
0: that that wasn't being used when you were younger
1: no well I mean it was being used but meaning like one-time incidences or I had some repeat abuse uh, by a family member which You could probably say there was some grooming involved, but I wasn't really old enough to understand that. I wasn't old enough to, you know, really become attached to another person and form a relationship with them. Um, And then, you know, there was like a swim coach. That was a one time a massage therapist. I went to a doctor in my early 20s, a gastroenterologist, I remember, who did a full, very uncomfortable breast exam. And I knew it was wrong. But again, I'm just laying there feeling you can just feel the energy. And I remember my head in my head thinking, this is so awkward, but don't make it more awkward. Just pretend. Just, just act normal. Act normal. As if I'm the one to blame for the discomfort in the room. And I remember I told my boyfriend about it, but that was it. And I read in the paper that he ended up losing his license because somebody reported him. But yeah, just you know, things like that. Just things... You know, but never somebody that I grew to care about and that I grew to trust and grew right. to love in a in a sense of a you know, not a romantic love, but a loving, caring type relationship is right. what I mean. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't
0: know if it was kind of like mirrored. Well, obviously not, but
1: well, childhood abuse sets us up for You know, vulnerability to predators. It does not mean that we caused it, or or does not mean that, because I want, you know, listeners to know that abuse will never, ever, ever happen without the perpetrator. You know, it is not what we are bringing to the table from our childhoods does make us more susceptible in ways, largely because it takes away our voice and our ability to say no and our ability to say, like, these are my boundaries, you know, and you're not allowed to. Cross them because when you've had those crossed as a child in such an egregious way, you don't really even know what your rights are. If that makes sense, you know when something's happening to you that you think you think it's wrong. It feels wrong, but you don't know if you have the right to say anything or do anything about it. If it's an like, especially if it's an authority figure, right. So in a way, it's not that it mirrored, but but it was similar because it was a father figure then. It was a father figure now. So the same weakness or whatever, the same void in me played a role. So, but therapists, you're sitting duck in a therapist's office. They can learn all of your weaknesses and all of your voids. They're supposed to. And so if you're with a sociopath then they can use all of those, all that information they find out against you, which is why I want therapist abuse legislation to be passed here because you are not protected in those spaces. You just hope that you got a good one because the therapy office is a private setting where you should be vulnerable. That puts you at a lot of risk. I feel like isolation is, you know, one of the biggest dangers because predators in any relationship or any um, area will try to isolate their victims because they know if you stop sharing with other people that they've got you. And the way he, you know, the way that worked with me was he, the therapy was so weird that I didn't want to tell anybody. It was like, I thought it was helping me. I thought it was a God thing. And I thought it was like a good thing, but it was weird and embarrassing. And so I started keeping more and more secret, right? right. And started keeping more and more to myself. And then pretty soon you find yourself alone on an Island with just the abuser. And you've kind of stopped sharing with other people and that distance grows and grows. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. That makes and total sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like my sessions got in, got longer. I didn't want to tell anyone that i liked it though. It was weird at first. It scared me at first, but then I liked it. Um, I liked having more time and I liked that he liked working with me. So you think, oh, I'm not going to really tell my best friend that. And so you just start keeping more and more secrets. And as that's happening, the attachment is growing. There's so many layers that are going on all at once that it's so confusing to see. And even when I got out, I had to write a book, not even because I was going to share my story, but I just had to understand what happened. I thought, how on earth did this happen to me? And yeah, it took a lot of writing and a lot of years to really be able to untangle it and see, oh, okay, that's what he did. And, you know, that's how it was all working together.
0: The name of your book is Prayed Upon.
1: Upon A, because that's, you know, I trusted him because he was this Christian leader and um, and the A is crossed out and an E is written in. If somebody wanted to get the book, where could they find it? Um, my website is www.amynordhughes.com. Um, it's on Amazon and really anywhere else books are sold. It's in ebook, paperback, and it just came out an audiobook. And it's on Audible and um as well as every other platform that sells audiobooks. Or it should be soon. It just got released on those platforms. That's exciting. I know I'm excited. I loved how it turned out. I love the narrator. I think she really brings the story alive. So I'm excited. Well oh, good. Just for all those busy people that are always driving and <laughs> don't have time to read a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would to to available, you know, to any victim that it would benefit. So,
0: No, absolutely. I mean, obviously you are not alone. This is a big thing. And I think maybe if somebody also is wondering, like, is that what's going on in my life? Because there's some things off. So maybe they'll be able to pick up some things that you went through and say, yep, that's exactly what's happening here.
1: Yes. I Obviously, I say I so highly recommend they read the book, but because it helps so many different people, people that have been in abusive marriages, relationships, it's not just about therapy abuse, and it's not just about clergy abuse, any scenario where that happens, and how predators work kind of gives you a bird's eye view of up close of how they perform their, they weave their web, I guess, and how we allow it to continue. And then how we have a hard time leaving and why we have a hard time leaving. Because a lot of people think, well, why didn't you just leave? Well, they make sure that you're not going to leave before the abuse goes too far. Right. I say that in a way that even makes sense. They make sure you are very attached, would feel too guilty to leave, would feel you couldn't survive on your own if you left, would feel too embarrassed to tell. And that's when they can really take advantage of you advantage of you because they know they have you
0: they can pull the whole
1: no one's going to take care of you like i will correct you'll have no you will not have a connection like this with anyone else ever it's just this magical connection that we have
0: is there anything else that you wanted to share
1: yeah i just wanted to say that consent cannot be given ever in a relationship with an imbalance of power. Therefore, you cannot consent. If you are in a relationship, you cannot consent to your therapist, to your doctor, to your pastor. These people hold all the power. You do not hold any. A lot of people think that these things are, you know, mutual and that you must have wanted to participate. But the truth is that people in positions of power can take advantage and manipulate us. And it happens all the time, men, women, all different scenarios. And that's just something that I really want victims to hear. That you can't say yes if no was not also an option. And, you know, a lot of people are taken advantage of by their employer. um, A lot of times in the church. And so they can be fired. These people hold things over you. Right. That way you stay. So you stay. Because maybe they'll lose your job or maybe, you know, they would share things about you and lots of other reasons. Right.
0: I like that. I've never heard that before put that way.
1: So it's just like, oh, I like that. It isn't possible. And I think if everybody really thinks about it, they would get it because it's like you can't just think about like your relationship with your boss at work. They have power over you. It's not an equal relationship. And a therapist's client is definitely not an equal relationship. The therapist has all the power, you have none. They know everything about you, you know nothing about them. But yeah, yeah, I do like that too. Um, oh, and there's one There's one other thing I wanted to share. Sure. After my abuse, I spoke with a really wise psychologist. And he asked me if I had shared all of this with my husband. And I said, yes, I told him everything. And he said, well, that's a shame because the first thing I do when I sit down with couples in this situation is share with a spouse, your wife was a victim of a crime and victims don't know explanations period and and if you think about that, we give that to victims of certain crimes. We know if you're out jogging and someone grabs you out of the bushes and assaults you, we know that you were a victim. but if you are in a say a counseling setting or coach any any kind of mentoring setting and you're an adult and you end up get, getting taken advantage of, good luck convincing society that you were a victim. And sadly, that kind of abuse where there's a re- relationship built and trust is given is that much more devastating. The betrayal is just that much greater. And that's just another big reason that I share my story is that I want other victims to know that is, you know, it the burden to prove ourselves or explain ourselves is not on us. People can believe us or they can not believe us and judge us. It doesn't matter. We were victims of a crime and we don't know anybody anything if we want to to you know pursue avenues of justice we can you don't have to that is not your burden either you don't have to go up against the you know the predator if you don't want to it's your right and adults just don't get that grace do you agree yeah. i do when you hear about it on tv you know a lot of people roll their eyes at the people that are claiming that they were victimized, um, it's embarrassing to come forward with that. That isn't something that you're going to make up, right?
0: Well, some people unfortunately do, and they ruin it for everybody
1: else. What do you mean? Oh, and yeah, they call abuse, and they yeah. They and I know that everything happens in the world, so I know that happens too. It's just that it's just sad because. So many victims have to keep it hidden for fear of judgment. And so they don't get the help they need. Right. And keeping it a secret doesn't do anything but make it grow and make the shame grow bigger. Yeah, that's probably all. Well, well thank you so it. much for being on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. I I enjoyed it. It was fun. Fun, you know. <laughs> as fun as I guess it could be. Fun right? visiting subject, you know. Okay,
0: if you guys are interested, you can find the link to her website and the book in the show notes below. If you know somebody that could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, leave a five-star review on either Apple or Spotify. Don't forget CrimeOverCocktails.com. I have a lot of useful phone numbers on there if you're in need for help. All right, you guys, thank you for listening and we will talk crime another time. Bye.